there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girls' night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Roger and Quentin were filled with rage. Showing me this film in the year 2022 is akin to throwing gasoline on fire. (laughs) And you knew that. Experience the magic of a real change in the loved one. Bill does the motion picture with something to offend everybody. Movie doesn't have almost anything to offend anybody now anymore. And shed a tear during Cry For Me Billy. There's a, a powerful tag at the end that just makes it a cynical, fucked up 70s Western. And now we bring you The After Show, your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussions. I'm your reporter on a rampage for a good reason, Gala Avery. My VHS tape for Cry For Me Billy finally arrived. I'm so glad I was actually able to watch this movie in English. Although there isn't a ton of dialogue in the film, it really made all the difference in my understanding of the movie. Quentin and Roger invited me back to the store to discuss my opinions on the film. This and more, all on today's episode of The After Show. Before we get into the further discussion on Cry For Me Billy, let's take a listen to some outtakes from the episode. Rage was George C. Scott's directorial debut. Quentin theorized about how Scott came across Rage, along with a personal story from Roger about how stuff like Quentin's theory actually happens in Hollywood. Even the whole idea about them doing the movie, I'm positive that it's a situation where uh, um, it's either one of two situations. Warner Brothers came up with this script and offered to George C. Scott, hey, we got a great picture for you. And he goes, okay, well, I'll do it if you let me direct it. Or it's a thing where, George C. Scott went to Warner Brothers and goes, I, I want to direct something. What do you got? Yeah, what do you got? And then like they, they gave him like five scripts. Well, here are five that if you did it, we'd do it. And he like read all five and got ready. To go, yeah, I'll do this. <laughs> yeah. And actually both 
answers would be or be good answers. I kind of like the second one better. Yeah. <laughs> I can actually see him reading five scripts, all right, you know, that they say, well, if you do this one, we'll do it. And then him really, yeah, okay, I'll do Rage. That'll be good. I've actually had that happen to me at Warner Brothers. Oh, uh-huh. Where after Killing Zoe, after Killing Zoe, uh, Lorenzo de Bonaventura called yeah. me in and he's like, okay, we want to make a movie with you. These are the scripts we have. And he opened up his cabinet uh-huh. and there were a bunch of scripts. He said, I'm just going to read titles and you tell me which one you, which sounds good to you. <laughs> and I'll send you home with that script. <laughs> Roger's mystery script he chose. The answer to that would be Sandman, which is the project that started his and Neil Gaiman's longtime friendship. One of the aspects of a film that Quentin and Roger never failed to miss is the architecture of a movie. When it came to rage, the duo loved the 60s architecture and, as Roger puts it, the way that modernism is invading the simplicity of the planes. It's also really striking to look at all of this kind of 60s modernist architecture plopped into the middle of the desert. Oh, no, that's a really neat aspect about the film, the fact that it takes place in Wyoming and that all the places, uh, uh, he, he he never goes to town yeah. because every place is a is a big structure out in New fucking Mexico or yeah, something. As <laughs> if they're going to build a city around these buildings someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they just plop this thing. And so people will be in some kind of crazy modernist office building and then they turn and you're looking out and there's nothing outside. Well, I mean, it, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's supposed to take desert. place in Wyoming, but it sure seems like it's taking place in New Mexico because New Mexico yeah. is where they have all those places out, out in the middle of the desert, you know, big hotels that with nothing around nothing them. around it. Yeah. <laughs> Space Age labs with nothing around. It. Yeah, that's exactly. And so it has like that strange, stark quality as well of mm-hmm. of. The space age or the, the, the you know, modernism mm. invading the kind of simplicity of the planes. Although I theorized briefly in the main episode that Rage was shot in California, the movie was actually shot entirely in Arizona, mainly in Benson and Tucson. Rage brought out the conspiracy theorist in Roger. And to be honest, it brought out the conspiracy theorist in me as well. One theory brought up in the main episode is the strange handshake between Martin Sheen and Richard Basehart. The handshake is known as the lion's paw grip. The lion's paw is the grip of the master of the third degree Freemason. You can also see this handshake being performed in another film this week. Where is it? Look closely in the scene in the loved one in the car park. You'll see Sir Ambrose and Sir Lindsay perform the exact same handshake with each other. Roger brings up another theory that he had when it came to rage. What happened to his wife? And also, I was thinking about his wife. Mm-hmm. You know, this military base is nearby, and they're testing shit all the time. And we know that his wife died mm-hmm. before the movie takes place. Mm-hmm. We know that he's lost his wife, and that he's, in some ways, he and his son are, you know, they're, they've bonded because of yeah. it. But there's obviously a sense of melancholy mm-hmm. among, you know, yeah. at the beginning of the film. And I started thinking about it. It's like, man, they're responsible for his wife's death also, probably. <laughs> It's not in the movie. <laughs> you guys just keep... <laughs> but think about it, Yanking Quentin. out chapters written in invisible ink. All well, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pages that were pulled. Speaking of conspiracy theories, this one comes straight from the history books. Rage was actually inspired by an event known as the Sheep Kill Incident. In March 1968, around 6,000 sheep died 30 miles away from Dugway's testing sites. When examined, it was found the sheep were poisoned with organophosphate chemicals. Although the army claimed that this poisoning was due to the local use of organophosphate pesticides, it was later revealed the sheep had died due to the conducted test of a nerve agent chemical weapon called VX nerve gas that was sprayed from a jet aircraft. The army did not admit fault for this event until 1998. 
The Loved One was one of the movies that Roger had wanted to talk about since the beginning of the Video Archives podcast. So much so that he even brought it up a few episodes ago in one of our pre-show talks. Let's listen now as he gives Quentin a clue as to why he really wanted to discuss it on our episode. I, I can't wait for us to, to watch The Loved One for so many reasons, not the least of which is Rod, is Steiger. Rod Steiger and every moment on screen. And in fact, it's his moment on screen that is even the other stuff that I want to talk about that has nothing. To, it, it has one of the greatest. I think we've talked about this. One of the what I feel is the greatest real change of all time. Oh, OK, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. And we'll talk about it on the day. But uh, it's, it's, of course, a Rod Steiger scene yeah. because uh -huh. every scene that he's in is magnificent in that way. And yeah, I would say that it's right up there with, with, I mean, every great performance that he's done. When I watched The Loved One at Home, my dad couldn't help but join me on the couch. Luckily for him, he showed up just at the right time. The infamous Joy Boy sequence was just about to play. Roger talks about the quality of the DVD transfer and how the real change looked different on VHS, DVD, and Laserdisc. I'm gonna break with orthodoxy a little bit here. I watched the movie again on DVD. I have mm -hmm. a DVD copy of the film with Gala. And um, and we had watched it together. And I have to say, the DVD like looked like Dr. Strangelove. It was crisp, mm -hmm. blacks and whites. The tape that we watched uh, was more, you described it as silver and ash. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh, yeah. Almost. It was like almost fuzzy and a little muddy. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was very, it definitely was, different elements. It was like, it, it wasn't black and white. It was gray and darker gray. <laughs> so the DVD though, they've tried to smooth out the real change. Oh, of course they did. There's no real change there. If you look carefully and I studied it carefully as we rewatched it again, I look we went back and again and again and again, you can actually still see a very small edit. Mm -hmm. A tiniest, tiniest edit is there. Mm -hmm. There's a little, Tiny jump. Yeah, but they're trying to smooth it out. But they're doing their best to smooth it out. Okay, the Laserdisc. Now, Laserdisc mm -hmm. has DVD quality. Yeah. Um, and the Laserdisc still has that real change, and it has a better transfer than the VHS. Mm. And so I would say that I would advocate, advocate right now, mm. the Laserdisc above the DVD, the Blu-ray, or the VHS. VHS, okay. Right now, I'd say Laserdisc is the uh, way to go with this film. Okay. And for that, you have to go to the Roger Avery-owned part of Video Archives. Yes, you do. Yes, which is the Laserdisc section. <laughs> <laughs> I win! <laughs> no, anyhow. <laughs> okay, so this real change is magical. My dad and I have discussed this real change extensively, as it's one of the most important real changes in all of cinema. However, there's one aspect of the real change that Roger and I did not discuss on the main episode which is my new theory about the meaning of this real change. Roger pointed out that the real change happens when Joy Boy's dream turns into a nightmare, but that's not the only thing that occurs during the real change. What's the subject on screen during it? Is it Mr. Joy Boy? No. It's the moment that they cut to Amy Thanatogenes and her reaction to her realization of who Mr. Joy Boy truly is. This is when her dream has become a nightmare, and this is the true magic of a real change. As we talked about on the main episode, there are so many amazing cameos this week. Roger and Quentin talked about the eclectic supporting cast of the loved one, including a waiter and a very well-placed alien in the background. Yeah, even that it's populated by the actors of that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Entirely. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's like, well, forget about 
dumb idiots watching the movie now who don't know who fucking Tab Hunter is and or don't Liberace. know who, or don't yeah. know who Liberace is and don't get the joke that Liberace's doing. Okay, forget about those fucking idiots. All right. Uh uh I'm talking about uh um watching the movie and responding to it as a movie as it moves from scene to yeah. scene to scene. Uh, you know, it's so completely connected in its time period. The, the fact that, like, I mean, most people will not even have a connection to who Robert Morris is, but people in the 60s absolutely did. Yeah. Jonathan Winters might have to be explained to some people about who the fuck he is, where he, nobody had to explain who he was in this time period in the 60s. He was considered, I think, wrongly a genius, all right? And I think this movie shows his uh, 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 <laughs> his lack of that quality, all right, in this role. Um, if I was going to not choose Richard Basehart... <laughs> And if I was not going to choose Harry Dean Stanton, and then if I was not going to choose Martin Sheen, I would choose Liberace. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, like th that's the thing about um, uh, the loved, loved one. one. There's is so many supporting actors. This, that there are, are so, so many good. amazing supporting actors. I mean, frankly, Paul Williams, I love. Mm -hmm. uh, Liberace, I love. Roddy McDowell, I love. I mean, I could like if Roddy McDowell had a bigger part, he could have won Best Supporting. Did you actor. catch Jamie Farr in the movie? I mentioned it when we watched oh, it. Oh, you did. Okay, good. Don't I, you remember me mentioning it? I don't okay, remember I, half of what I, happened. I, no, it's like the <laughs> the waiter comes by. Hey, that's fucking Jamie. Yeah, Jamie Farr. Farr. Yeah, and he's. I don't even think he's credited in the film. Well, it's, it's not even a role. Yeah, <laughs> he's an extra. It's an extra. It's a glorified <laughs> extra. <laughs> The fucking clinger. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you know that at the studio. You know what that alien is from Star Trek? Was no, it the, it's no. I thought it was the alien from Star Trek. No, it's the David McCullum six finger. Oh my god, alien. that's, that's uh, the outer limits. Yeah, 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 the, outer yeah, limits. yeah the six yeah. finger. Right, but right. It, it's the actual mask from yeah, that's that episode. The ultimate evolution of man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that's actually interesting that it's the ultimate evolution of man. It is. No, I'm it's, sitting it's behind, not random. It's sitting not, behind John Gielgud, almost on his shoulder. Yeah, and talk about a, a a a reference to something ripped from the headlines. I mean, I'm sure that Outer Limits episode was maybe only played, a yeah. year, yeah, a year earlier. Yeah, but if you watch Outer Limits, you're gonna fucking recognize it. As you guys know from some of the other episodes, we don't always talk about all of the movies we watch. As a special treat, Quentin makes a connection to a movie that we almost talked about on the show. Well, the with, whole, with a chasm drop. The whole setup of that joke and then everything, that was sort of... Now, you know who Angela, you know who, who else Angela Comer is, don't you? She's the... Uh, you watched... She's uh, your mother, Gala. <laughs> <laughs> you watched Death Stock, didn't you? Yes. She's oh the wife. God, she's the she's, wife in she's, she's Vince Edwards' wife in Death Star. Oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's also in another really funny movie that Alan Arkin directed called, uh, and she's a playing a nut in that movie as well, uh, Fire Sale. Fire Sale. So, Fire Sale. It's with Alan Arkin and, and uh, uh, Rob Reiner, and Alan Arkin directed it. It's a pretty funny movie. Death Stock, directed by Robert Day, is available on YouTube to watch. Although I like the movie, I actually much prefer the pulp novel it's based on by Thomas Chastain. Don't tell anyone, but I actually cried reading the book. Yeah, it's just that good. During our awards ceremony, you may have heard me mention cinematographer Haskell Wexler painting the shadows. Want to know what I was talking about? Roger tells us the story behind this comment. You know, there's a moment um, I, that Haskell Wexler uh, describes when he was shooting the uh, a scene where because of the schedule, it ended up on high noon mm -hmm. and DPs in black and white never liked to shoot in high noon because of the. Well, nobody, no DP nobody likes to shoot likes it when, to the direct, when the sun is directly above 
and, shooting down. But and but he <laughs> like said they don't let you shoot. He said, you know, black and white is much more difficult to shoot than color. Color gives you instant contrast and depth in between mm-hmm. things. But black and white, you really have to, you know, plan those contrasts and you have to plan the light in that way. And it's much more difficult. And he describes this one moment at um, Whispering Glades. Where um, and they're in the Garden of Homer, or mm-hmm. wherever the, um, Francis Hinsley is going to be laid to rest. He said it was just so bright that I had the art department paint long shadows onto the lawn mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. of the thing to look like there were long shadows there. Yeah. But if you look at the actors, they're just projecting shadows straight down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they don't have long shadows. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, that's what you can do with black and white. You can literally paint your shadows. Well, you know what? You learned that trick from, you learned that trick from Joseph von Sternberg. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cause von Sternberg back when you were shooting black and white and, uh, if you wanted to, uh, rather than just keep moving in a light to light this up, he just walk around with a, uh, like an exterminator has a, uh, has a, their extermination yeah, junk. All right. He had a can of white paint. All right. And we just spray white paint on little different corners to light them up. There is no doubt about it. Rod Steiger is an amazing actor. Quentin shares the impact that Mr. Joyboy has had on other actors. I do want to bring up one thing is, uh, so this weekend I was like, I was on a Kung Fu movie kick. So I was watching a bunch of seventies <laughs> Kung Fu movies. And I watched this, uh, a, a Bruce Lai movie called Fist of Bruce Lee, directed by Bruce Lai, no less. Uh, so Low Lee's in it and everything. But there's this character that is the, the lawyer of the big mob guy the big triad fellow. He's the lawyer of the triad fellow, but he's got this kind of, like Joy Boy, he's got a sick obsession with the uh, a mobster's uh, daughter. And the lawyer is sweating all the time. He's patting, <laughs> patting his face with, a, with a, a, a handkerchief. And I'm watching him like, He's basing his performance off of Rod Steiger as Joy Boy. He, it's, it's you know the, the kind of prissy. There's not a there's not a there's not there's nothing about the scripts that are similar, other than the fact that he's also obsessed with uh, this other woman. But it's obviously that actor has seen the loved one and is doing his version of, <laughs> of, Joy, Boy, uh, of yeah. Joy Boy. And so, like you know, to only have seen this movie after all this time on Friday and then Sunday <laughs> to watch a martial art movie from the seven a Bruce Lee Mar- directed. Martial art movies from the 70s and to see a Joy Boy reference <laughs> kind of blew me away. Also, the scene where he first tells Miss Dinotogenous, Amy, that like, oh, whenever I bring a loved one to you, I don't know. I, I Something feels me. I know that it has to be special. And that I, you know, like mm-hmm. he's he's really talking to her like he's excited. What he's doing with his hands mm-hmm. in that moment as he's talking to her is some of the best acting. <laughs> like what he does alone with just his hands mm-hmm. in a scene is incredible. It's it's just wonderful to watch. One of Roger's favorite parts about the loved one was John Gielgud, specifically the wonderful dialogue that he recited. Up next, Roger reenacts some of Gielgud's best moments. Those were the days, you know. I only had to ask for something, and they went straight out and bought it. If I said real gold, then real gold it had to be. <laughs> and then my favorite, which I always think about when uh, when I think about you because of how jet-lagged you were. 
<laughs> These newfangled jets, abrupt transitions. I'm certain one loses all sense of time and proportion. Not like the good old days aboard the Queen Mary. <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> that, that like was he great, has yeah. so many great lines when he talks about the Hollywood. Old, the good old days on the Queen Mary. Oh, aboard the, the Queen, Queen Mary. Mary. <laughs> when he talks about Hollywood, he's like, uh, and, and the United States. Because this movie really is kind of about how the English come to Hollywood to die. Yeah. You know, yeah. And there is, it, one could say there's almost a, you know, come to Hollywood to die subgenre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, the plays. And, but his description of America and especially Hollywood, they talk entirely for their own pleasure and they don't expect you to listen. It's the secret of social ease in this country. <laughs> There are so many Hollywood inside jokes in The Loved One, so much so that this next one was completely lost on me. Thankfully, Quentin is here to let us know the true identity of Dusty Rhodes and what the actual joke surrounding his character is. All right. I mean, you know, David Hemmings is the star of his next movie. How come David Hemmings isn't playing, you know, uh, 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 the character? And they even make a joke about the whole the, the whole running joke in the first half of the movie is the Dusty Rhodes character is supposed to be doing a British accent and he's terrible at yeah. it. You know, and they're all just pumping themselves. Ah, oh, he's fantastic. Ah, she's a tea and crumpets. It's ready to go, dear boy. Ready to go. Ready to go. You think you can do that uh, accent, Dusty? Well, I think if I snuck up on it, I might be able to to get it. And Robert Morse isn't doing drastically better than Dusty <laughs> Dusty you, Rhodes. You line him up and I'll knock him down. <laughs> and by the way, Robert Easton, who plays Dusty Rhodes, is like the foremost uh, uh, in real life, is the foremost uh, 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 dialect coach. Is he that, really? In, the, in Hollywood for that's the last the few joke, years. Yeah, that's the joke then. That's the whole joke. I don't think he was that much of a dialect coach in 1964, but, he, <laughs> but in the 70s and the 80s, he was that guy. <laughs> Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into the further discussion on Cry For Me Billy, Quentin dishes out some extra information on director William Graham. But we have to mention the uh, terrific director, uh, William Graham. For right, sure. Uh, who uh, uh, directed the film. Who I was completely, like, stupidly unaware of before yeah. this movie. No, William A. Graham, he, uh, he's a wonderful TV movie director, all right? He's done some really good TV movies. Uh, he was known as Billy Graham by, you know, most of the actors working with him. I've talked to many of these old-time actors, and whenever I, uh, his name comes up, oh, Billy Graham, he was wonderful. So, you know, Michael Parks worked with him on one of uh, his better TV movies, uh, Escape from Bogan County. Oh, right. And, uh, you know, he sang Billy Graham's praises. Uh, uh, Bruce Dern used to sing Billy Graham's praises. Oh, Billy Graham was wonderful. And then uh, in the uh, uh, early 80s, Billy Graham did another Western, another feature that he starred uh, Bruce Dern called Harry Tracy Desperado. Oh, so Bruce uh, Dern. Shot out, shot out of Canada. So it's uh, Bruce Dern. Uh Helen Shaver and Gordon Lightfoot. And uh, mm. if she hadn't have died, very possibly Dorothy Stratton would have played the, the Helen Shaver part in Harry Tracy Desperate. Now, 
Let's Talk Cry For Me Billy. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, be warned. I'm dishing out all the spoilers. Hello, everyone. I am so excited today to say that I am finally here to talk about Cry For Me Billy with Roger and Quentin. Yay! Yay. I was able to watch it with English language Mm -hmm. on VHS. And let me tell you, the quality was so much better than the terrible VHS rip, the terrible German VHS rip that I'm so thankful, though, is on YouTube. Das ist ein crappy transfer. (laughs) It was a crappy transfer. But I'm really glad because there are countless fans out there that are able to watch it in German. And that's right now the only way that people besides buying a VHS tape can watch it. So Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that by the time this comes out, there is more accessibility for this movie. But let's dig in. Okay, this movie totally changes when you actually watch it in the proper language. Mm -hmm. The eeriness of rolling into the town, the quietness of him like clopping along. Mm -hmm. It's so good. And right off the bat, we know that he's the good guy. Mm -hmm. He gives the Indians water. Mm -hmm. He shoots the man who's about to bash the Indian's head in with a hammer, Mm -hmm. but like doesn't kill the guy. He just like shoots his hand. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, okay, wait, okay, wait, okay. Wait a minute. The guy's a blacksmith. He's just actually ruined his entire fucking life by shooting him in the <laughs> hand. That, that, that guy that guy gets gets his uh gets his No, that, that's why that's why the end actually works, is because he fucking ruined his <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton actually says, Okay, you now put the blacksmith out of business. Yeah. <laughs> well what's what's funny is it's and it's a, that's a very realistic ending too, because it's not like some posse got him, it's not like the law caught up with him. It's that the guy, guy the guy who's the guy who's no, I love ruined. the ending. The ending is maybe the, ending the best, is, one of the best parts of the movie. The yeah. ending is really good. But it's so funny, though, because when he shoots him, it shows how good of a shot he is because he shoots him in the hand, like, where it hurts him the yeah. most. Uh-huh. Like, he can't work anymore. His hand's messed up, but he's not dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, he's also trying to shoot the hammer out of his hand. And so that, which. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, I think he's just a good enough shot mm-hmm. that he actually means to shoot his hand. Yeah. I don't think he's trying to shoot the hammer out. I think it's like. Well, also, he's such a, like. I don't know, California American looking, like mm-hmm. almost surfer looking guy, like with that well, again, blonde the, hair. Like again, in a realistic way, like he looks like a uh, saddle tramp. Yeah, again, but, again, well, I mean, you, 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 the movie cannot be divorced from from the time that it was made. It's like around 71 is when it came out. I mean, it, but, there, is, but, there, is, but, there is an anti-establishment hippie aspect correct. to it. Yeah. Know, and both of them are supposed to be hippie-like free spirits. Yeah. yeah. And they and, definitely and, are. Yeah, because so when he rolls in, you you inherently are like, oh, this is my hero. You mm-hmm, feel yeah. that. Yeah, and you feel like he's, I mean, he's a good guy. He's even going against, like, the United States Army, basically, at mm-hmm. the time period, which is very a la rage, mm-hmm. which we talked about this week also. Yeah. They're kind of both dealing with this same thing of going against big groups of people, as yeah. you say, because groups of people will do things the individual never will. Yeah, they're oh, both, they're well, both well, responses to Vietnam, as Quentin was. Yeah, you're right. And yeah. and, and and you're right. <laughs> they both come from a similar attitude about America yeah. and America's institutions. Yeah, a little bit of a transgressive reassessment of mm-hmm. where we're at, you know, as a country at war. Yeah. And we, he's so good that he even pays the men for the food when he gets to that cabin. Mm-hmm. And they've kind of like, they shit talk his woman. Mm-hmm. And they even say that they want to like, rape her and then he sends him off and he goes into the house and he's taking their food and he even leaves some money yeah, yeah. for the food. Like, that's how and good the, of the guy, guy is. But that actually makes sense though because yeah. They, yeah, you actually respected the guy. Hey, look, if you're not just robbers or yeah. you know, leave which, some money, two bucks will do it. Which we're claiming you are. Yeah. yeah. All right. If So if, you, so if you're going to actually be all high and mighty and you're not just robbers, then that food is worth $2 and I expect it on the table. And he leaves yeah. it. Yeah, he yeah. Does, my only problem is he doesn't leave it on the table. 
Okay. <laughs> he actually flips it onto the floor. Yeah, I yeah. thought the he money. left like one coin on the table and like one maybe coin he did. on the maybe, floor. Maybe it just fell on the table off camera or something. Like I didn't see that. No, but, but I think he, I think, but I think it's like, no, no, you're going to have to bend down yeah, to pick you, this I, shit. I, I'm going to make yeah. you, yeah, exactly. Get yeah. on your knees to get and it. I, I love, I love, this movie is just filled, I mean, it, it's barely a story. It's it's these weird. You've set up the characters, and it's just yeah. these strange vignettes that of they life, they they, yeah. fi- they find themselves in. And, and every one of them's a winner, as far as I'm concerned. None of the vignettes didn't work. Oh, I I completely agree. And being able to like actually understand the dialogue and like what's going on, starting like when he rolls into town and he meets his friend who he. Ran Harry out and Stanton, on, yeah, yeah Harry um, and Stanton, who he, I think he ran out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they they had something in the past that obviously things didn't go a hundred percent between the two of them, but they were childhood friends. And I love that game that they play with yeah. the guns. That crazy it, ass game. Watching it in the German dub, I had no clue what was going. Was like, Ger- to Germans, that's normal, probably. <laughs> yeah, let's. Yeah, uh, I mean, my grandfather. I've never like what I don't know if I would ever play that game, and I don't even know if the game makes much sense. But I can give you the benefit that I've never seen it before. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's the American version of what my grandfather, who mm-hmm. was German, did, which was when they were in school. They would take a fencing sword. Your friend would take a fencing sword up to your face and slice it Mm -hmm. and do a a cut. Mm -hmm. And the trick was if you had a straight scar or not, because if your Mm -hmm. scar wasn't straight, it meant you flinched. Mm -hmm. And a person who flinched was usually depicted as a kind of villain, a a Nazi-ish villain. I think that there's a little bit more of an aspect of like a, a, a tomahawk throw. A tomahawk throw to yeah yeah like you know putting a person up against the oh, yeah. uh, 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 well, a wall or and then doing a tomahawk throw and it boom and then you know, it falls on this side of the face and boom on that side of the face and boom right, right in between the arm well, and the body they're definitely they're definitely trying to say whichever one of us can shoot closest to the other well that's win. what they're definitely doing and the yeah. one guy gets like Potts gets his uh, yeah, yeah. like shirt and he's like whoa that's pretty close but then Harry Harry's Stan, standing, it's I, like the hairs on his cheek but I yeah. love like, that whoa, line whoa yeah. that line that he does. <laughs> though he says oh it's like where's the other bullets and he said oh, i couldn't figure out where to put them yeah <laughs> because he would have put them in him yeah, yeah he was yeah, that yeah. close yeah. yeah and i love how they set up just how good of a shot he is mm-hmm. yeah yeah because he is just that good and so i love like that vignette is great when he i mean he saves the indians that's a great part because it's like it shows his humanity i love when um Social Maria Potts mm-hmm. steals yeah. the horse at the yeah. very beginning yeah. and kind of rides away. That and by the way, I, that's hard to ride a horse bareback. To have your actress like galloping on a horse, holding onto the mane. Yeah, 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 yeah. The horse without a saddle. I mean, you've worked with horses. Yeah, yeah. So you know exactly what it's like to put an actor on a horse. I'm I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure he had, uh, I'm sure the horse had, uh, you they wouldn't do that with an actor. Well, what, this also comes from a time period where actors were, frankly, better trained no, on I horses. Know, no, and, I know that, but I'm, I'm sure the the horse had, uh, um, you know, there's kind of like a, a piano wire kind of uh, 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 a bit. To help hold it. Bit yeah. and reins. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that you can wrap up in the, in the uh, uh, but yeah, but they're not going to just, you know, and a horse goes, you know, the horse needs a bit in his mouth to put a rider on even, it. <laughs> even with that. Sochal um, or Maria. She is, really is. She's fair. fantastic. She's she is amazing. amazing like with physically. No dialogue. Well, no it, dialogue act, and she does her, such an amazing performance. Yeah. She says Billy. Billy. <laughs> but you know what's amazing about that? And just like that. It's, it's when she says Billy. Yeah. That's when you know she's in love. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's, that's true. The moment and she they use that one line of dialogue to tell you everything you need to know that she's no longer trying to escape from him. She now trusts him. Mm-hmm. They're together and he loves her too. Mm-hmm. 
I just, this movie was like really special, mm-hmm. to be honest. I was so excited that I actually got to watch it because I sat down and I thought, oh, I've seen this before in German. I was like a, like a little <laughs> lukewarm on it. Mm-hmm. But then watching it in English, I was like, man, I, I, mean, I really dig this. This is really great. The scene with him at the river with the snake where he's like playing. Oh, with yeah. The snake. yeah. It's like such a, it's like a quiet, tender moment where yeah, it's like yeah. he's by himself and you see that he's like a sensitive man. Like he's mm-hmm. not killing the snake. Yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. like thrown around. Even like kind of tries to go and he puts it back where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I love that. And Maria Potts, she's really beautiful. Yeah. Like yeah. exceedingly so. Like especially on the transfer that I saw, she is like. Yeah, she's stunning. She's stunning. And she really is bearing it all. She is out there naked, barefoot, like getting rolled around. Yeah. That's no, she the, brings it. And they're, in, and they're in like it. the high Sierra Nevadas or something. And yeah, so yeah. it's cold. It's rocky and she's barefoot. She's running around. I mean, it's like physically a challenging performance to do. And it makes sense that they're married because especially mm-hmm. that scene where he is chasing her and he they roll around the ground together. Like his head is like up in her crotch. Mm-hmm. I don't think that like if you were not married or like not intimate with each other that you could have that level of like wrestling on the ground. Well, like they're, she's really punching him and mm-hmm. he's really like trying to grab her. Well, they certainly found intimacy. That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. You know, uh, I'm really happy this movie is available to Germans in German language <laughs> and that they can enjoy it in German. <laughs> but one of the reasons to watch this movie is for the amazing vernacular in, um, of the of dialogue, the period, yeah. which feels so authentic. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like, I like the way the film is directed. I like the way the story goes. And I love the cynicism, the 70s cynicism of the ending. But what makes this a rewatchable kind of movie and what may- puts it in a special place other than just the genre, yeah. the genre tropes that I like is, you know, that true grit type of cowboy speak. It almost seems like a, a Western American version of Elizabethan. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I I really, honestly, the dialogue is really, the script itself is really tight. As Quentin was talking about earlier, how it wraps around that, uh, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, In the end, he's killed by the blacksmith. Yeah, yeah. Who is the person that he has basically ruined his life. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, like, he's told not to roll back into town, and he does roll back into town, Mm -hmm. and that's where he meets his end by the person that, like, he's wronged. And he gets shot in the back. Yeah. yeah After yeah, all of the honorable things he's done, yeah. he gets shot well, in the back. Hey, that the 70s, baby. Yeah. All right. It's As Brady just... Sinelts would say, ah, the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> it's just no, the, good. The, 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 you know, in the, in the 70s, if you're Stacey Keach, killed at the end of uh, 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 the New Centurions, or Robert Blake killed at the end of Electric Light and Blue, or uh, uh, Captain America and Billy killed at the end of yeah. Easy Rider. It's like, no, the more meaningless the death, the better. Yeah. Does his friend who gives him the money to like go get a doctor, has he betrayed him? Like, oh, you mean to the blacksmith? Yeah, to the blacksmith. Well, he is hanging out in that town a lot. However, I don't think so. No, I don't, think I don't so. like to believe that because I don't know. I just like Harry Dean Stanton. And also I like the fact that these guys were childhood friends. Yeah. Because and, so, and if he had a problem with them, he, you know. And also he warned him, like, don't come back to town. Yeah, he said he don't did come back to town. Yeah. He did yeah. warn him. Yeah, but uh, I don't I don't, th- I don't. think he betrayed him, but Harry Dean Stanton makes it very clear. I have to live in this town. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can't just come in and ruin my life for me because they'll come and get me too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But yeah, and he doesn't fight, and he doesn't fight for him when he. But boy, I thought that was very believable. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't like. Oh, I'm going to get revenge. No, 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 no. He, yeah. he shouldn't have come back. <laughs> no, he shouldn't have come back, especially because yes, they were friends in childhood. But something has happened where Billy has run out on him. So it's like they do have a little bit of a contentious relationship. So he wouldn't. But it, but it does sound like they do, they get over. It. They yeah, got I, over. I it, feel like they get over it. Yeah, they yeah. got over, it, but like they wouldn't stand up for him. There is that nice moment though, where like you know he's pissed at him for shooting the blacksmith. Um, he's like, okay. 
just get the fuck out of here. Just get the fuck out of here. And then so he, he could fuck up the whole town. Yeah. Exactly. The blacksmith. Uh, suddenly horses can't get their shoes. Yeah, yeah. You can't get anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then the, uh, the you know, next the, the, blacksmith is like 200 miles away. Then the cavalry's <laughs> going to come back and they're going to be asking a bunch of questions and they're going to look to me because I'm the one uh, I was the one seen talking to you. Yeah. But then after he's like, get the fuck out of here. Then he gives him some money. Yeah. All right. And then that little smile on Cliff Potts' face, on Billy's face, yeah. when uh, when uh, Harry he was like, oh, okay, you're talking shit, but you, you still care for me. Yeah, it's for a really it. nice moment. It is. Yeah. There's also like that, the one vignette where he's like taming the second horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, that's, oh yeah. That's, that's an, an that is awesome actually an, scene. That's an actor. And I was talking about actors back then who knew more yeah, yeah. how to handle horses. Right on. Like, because they were, there was still, it's, it's, they had to, they, they were coming TV, out of a TV yeah, culture. Yeah, they had to, they had to be on the Virginian every week and they had to be, on uh, Laredo you every look week. at Cliff yeah. Potts handling he that horse he on, is breaking that horse you guys if you guys have not seen this movie you have to understand he gets this horse that's supposed to be a wild horse he lassoes it on like a cliffside, mm-hmm. ties it to and a tree which by the way looks absolutely dangerous scene to stage yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah ties it to a tree and then Social like walks up with the horse and then she's watching him and he jumps on the horse and this horse is like bucking and mm-hmm. like yeah, I don't think there's breaking. any hidden hidden wires on that horse. Yeah. I gotta he be is honest. Breaking that horse in and it is Well he has crazy. a ro- he has a rope bit. He has a rope, has a rope, oh, that's rope right, bit. That's on. right, that's yeah. right. He gets the rope around it. But that's crazy. That's the actor actually doing that? No, oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, probably. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean I, like he's it, a strong looking might, guy. He's, I mean, it's, he's a, a it's probably not really a wild horse in reality. He's like a beefcake. I mean, he's like a tough guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a strapping guy. Yeah, it's like a um yeah, it's not a completely wild horse, but it's a horse that 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 knows how to buck on command. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, still yeah. the fact that he's able to get on a trained horse and ride it as and it's have it whip around and, and kick him up in the air and like everything. a rodeo. I mean, I'd have been thrown off that thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would have too. <laughs> they, they they just rape her repeatedly after she's trying to get away and she's in the water and she's like crawling because Billy has just been like beat up really bad no he gets shot yeah 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 no it's 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 bordering on last house on the left all right you know and it even kind of looks a bit like that last house on the left yeah when she realizes like billy's not getting up like he's been he's been beat up shot he's he's been repeatedly tied to to a yeah he's been shot and he gets tied to a tree Mm -hmm. and she's like in the water crawling and they're like oh like let's just like go clean her up and like let's take her no 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 we haven't had any time off recently. Let's all go rape her mm-hmm. in procession. And oh, because I'm the higher ranking officer, I go first. Yeah. And it's just like the worst thing ever. They're brutal with her. But you know what? Little Sparrow is, I'm actually like getting emotional over this. She's so strong and so tough that at the end when they cut her loose, mm-hmm. she actually goes to Billy and gets his knife out of his boot yeah. and cuts him free. Yeah. And then dies. Yeah. Like, well, she kills herself. Or she kills her. But that's what I mean, though. Yeah. Because she can't live with it. Mm-hmm. But, like, she's strong enough that she's able to, like, do that to go cut him loose. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, after all that happens, are you on Billy's revenge tip? Yeah. Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah I am. I was, I was like, Little Sparrow. Yeah. La, 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 la. They're idyllic, like, living in the woods together. Yes. Bridging, like, racism is over together mm-hmm. with each other. Having a happy family, building a cabin. Na- divine nature nymphs. Yes. I'm, I was, like, really excited for it. And then, oh. Yeah, but how long can it last? In, well, in this, well, in this well, sick, one twisted, day, one messed day. up world of this film where, like, even, like, the two of them, how far can they run? There is nowhere to run. It's actually a really great moment when um, she could leave him out there to starve, and then she kind of realizes, okay, look, I, yeah, I can't quite do that. Yeah, he, I'm not ready to starve. I'm I... not ready to trust this guy 100%, but I'm not yeah. going to 
be the cause of his death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just the connection that they had. You can clearly tell that they were in love. It's an amazing love this. story. It's a tragic, terrible, amazing, wonderful love story. Yeah. We've watched a few movies with some really iconic music. Cocaine Cowboys, Lipstick, and even a few movies that you guys haven't heard us talk about yet. However, I think the music in Cry For Me, Billy is the best we've heard so far. Let's talk all about the genius behind the original songs in this film, Michael Franks. Okay, now I have to talk about the music of the movie. Uh I think these two original songs, Little Sparrow and Ballad of Billy, are potentially my favorite original music <laughs> mm-hmm. that we have actually come across so really? far on the show. Wow. I cannot, get, I was actually listening to it before we came here today because mm-hmm. I cannot get it out of my head. Okay. The music is by a man named Michael Franks. Mm-hmm. You can check him out at michaelfranks.com. He's been making music since 1973. He still is making music. He's apparently a leader of what's called the Quiet Storm Movement, mm-hmm. which is a radio format, smooth, romantic, jazz-influenced, ballady songs. Okay. He supports the Hearts United for Animals National No-Kill Shelter. Uh-huh. So that gets a shout-out from yeah. me. Mm-hmm. But, so far, uh, so good. He's worked with uh, artists such as Patty Austin and Art Garfunkel, and then his music has been recorded by people like Gordon Haskell, Shirley Bassey, The Carpenters, Patti LaBelle, Ringo Starr. Shirley Bassey, there's a Moonraker, mm-hmm. a Moonraker uh, mm-hmm. connection we can talk about. <laughs> but basically, this guy has done so much music. I love the music in this mm-hmm. movie. I'm actually going to buy his record called Previously Unavailable, which mm-hmm. includes the song Little Sparrow Oh, on wonderful. It. Oh, really? Because, uh, yeah, I found it on eBay. There's If anyone likes the music in this movie, you guys should check out. It's called Previously Unavailable. It's on eBay. There's lots of records of it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And at the very end, the end credits one is Ballad of Billy. Yeah, yeah. Where they're like, they kind of mm. show he's died, but now he's like, and I love it because it just basically tells the story of Billy before the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lyrics, it says like, Billy, he was like the fastest gun in the West. And, but when he got tired of killing, mm-hmm. he left. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's right. That's exactly, that's exactly where we begin what, the where movie. We begin the movie. So it tells his ballad. And I just, I love that touch to drop back to the end. And, but then in the song, it's like, but now, like, Billy's time is gone, and he's with his little sparrow. Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's like, so they're up in heaven together. And so I just, mm-hmm. I really thought it was, like, a really beautiful way to end the movie. With romantic. This, with this romantic song. So, well, look, I, I love I, this. I love the music in this movie. Well, I'm also kind of a, a, I think it's a little cheesy, but I'm also kind of a fan of the early 70s Western thing where they get a singer-songwriter, you know, mm-hmm. a folk songy singer-songwriter to do a song score. And uh, a, a good example of that, and it's like my favorite thing about the movie, because I don't really care about the movie that much, is uh, uh, I love the the music that's in uh, The Ballad of Cable Hoke. Yeah. And actually one of my favorite, uh, absolutely one of my favorite Peckinpah sequences is the Butterfly Mornings uh, duet that uh, uh, Jason Robards and uh, uh, Stella Stevens do together right in, the, right in mid-movie. But before that, it's this other guy. You know, and he sings the song open the opening credits, and it's it's really good. I, I, I you know, it's it's very much of its time. Yeah, but I like it. But you know what's funny though is I I love when movies have like theme songs, like yeah. even with exploitation films like Coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coffee has like one of the best. Coffee theme- is the, the color. color. <laughs> <laughs> has like one of the best theme songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love the fact that you guys just suddenly started singing that in, in stereo, <laughs> and it was like one is like a baritone, and the other one is like a. <laughs> I, I just I love it when uh, movies have like theme songs and mm-hmm. I just I can't stop humming it like yeah. little sparrow la 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 I'm just I love it so if anyone Michael wants, Franks yeah Michael Franks michaelfranks.com his that name sounds familiar yeah, yeah I gotta say it sounds yeah, familiar he's made too. a lot of mm-hmm. music and so if anyone wants to listen to little sparrow on vinyl it's on previously unavailable that's the record name and you can mm-hmm. find it on eBay 
My vinyl cost me $9.75 and it was worth every single penny. We loved Cry For Me Billy, but it wasn't without its faults. Quentin reveals what he wishes was different upon rewatch, along with some other William Graham films that fans should check out. And I really recommend everyone out there, honestly, after watching this, get the VHS. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, come on. It was only $20. You can get the VHS tape of this. You can watch this. Watch it. It's so good. Watching it the second time with Roger, I only had one misgiving about it. Because the first time watching the movie, uh, you know, I bought into the whole... 1971-72 aspect of it all and the whole hippie Western and the whole anti-American, yeah. anti-establishment yeah. ap- aspect of it all. And it's soul-crushing when the soldiers show up. Yeah, and he runs for his gun and he can't get any, so yeah. he has to defend her. And then oh, the, the killing the horse is just so fucked up. Yeah, it's horrible. And then everything that happens is like, oh, God, I can't wait for this guy to fucking kill these guys. And... Uh, um, and so the first time I watched it, when he tracks them all down and then wipes them out, I was just, yeah, you know, I was just into the yeah. vengeance tip of it all. Um, it was interesting watching it the second time. The thing that I didn't like is I thought it was bullshitty was he gets the drop on them. He completely has the drop. They're all in a fucking hole. All right. Uh, it's <laughs> almost like another <laughs> Metaphor. Metaphor <laughs> reference. All right. Uh, they're all in a hole. And if anyone deserves to be wiped out, it's them. He does a bullshit thing of he puts his gun in his holster. I'm going to make it fair. Yeah, I'll make it fair. Fuck that shit. These guys don't deserve that crap. It's all right? not realistic, but it it it's a movie. Yeah. But you, but you know what, though? It's true. I would have rather you like just kill them all with a Winchester. <laughs> <laughs> I would have I would have also rather have that, but it's true to his character. Yeah. He's the guy that is always making it fair. He's the guy that always has a conscience. He, he wants it to be fair so that he can blow them all away. But yeah, anyone who is a fan of Westerns, please track down this movie. But especially 70s Westerns. Especially 70s Westerns. This movie is beautiful. The VHS is really beautiful for it. Really it was. Mm-hmm. It really is. Just please do yourself a favor, find and, it. And by the way, when it comes to Billy Graham, William A. Graham, as he's uh, always listed, uh, feel free to watch any of his TV movies. They're almost always good. He's a really one of one of the tip top. Do of you have the, a favorite, Quentin? Uh, I do because I'm such a Michael Parks fan. I, I don't care for the second half of the movie, but his uh, movie Escape from Bogan County mm. with Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Smith and Michael Parks. The first half of it is terrific. I don't care for the second half because Michael Parks kind of disappears a little bit, but it's one of my favorite Michael Parks things that he did in the 70s. Is like, especially yeah, you the, love Michael Parks. Yeah, so the middle be a, section. the middle some potent TV movie. There. Yeah, the middle section is great. And Michael Parks even gets to sing in it and he was such a great singer. And was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that one. But I also like uh, his other theatrical Western that I pointed, I'm pointing at right now in our Western section, uh, Harry Tracy Desperado mm-hmm. with uh, uh, starring uh, uh, Bruce Dern. In the early 80s. Oh, God, I would love to see that. Yeah. Want more Cliff Potts? Check out these recommendations from Quentin, along with a personal story about Michael Madsen. I can say a lot about Cliff Potts. Okay, so we've got, which we haven't watched, is the Dan Curtis uh, Western starring Cliff Potts called The Last Ride of the Dalton Gang. Right. That also has Jack Palance, which is- Randy the, Quaid. Randy Quaid. Crazy, crazy Randy Bo Quaid. Bo Hopkins, yeah. my, one of my favorite Western icons yeah. of that time. Uh, but also, I first know who Clef Potts is from um, 
I was always a big fan when I was a kid of this movie called The Ground Star Conspiracy, which starred uh, uh, George Papard and Michael Sarazen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Cliff Potts, I always remembered he's he's got a, a part in that. And I always remembered him from that. And I always remembered his name on the poster. And so then as time would go on in the 70s, like, you know, I would see in the TV guide, oh, Cliff Potts, that guy from the ground. To me, he was always a guy from Ground Star Conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, but I really liked, as I mentioned in the, in the earlier show is, uh, uh, he did a, t- uh, a pilot that wasn't picked up, but, uh, it was a TV movie sequel to Nevada Smith, mm-hmm. where he played Nevada Smith and Lauren Green played the Brian Keith character in it. And it's a really good, uh, it's a really good sequel, but I've always liked Cliff Potts. As a matter of fact, I kind of got into him again after seeing Ride With Me Billy. Mm-hmm. I went on looking on his credits and I noticed that he played uh, Michael Madsen had a really terrific show at the end of the nineties or early two thousands called vengeance unlimited. Mm-hmm. There was almost like a, Oh yeah. It was a great show. It was yeah. terrific. It was like a Columbo show where you, they, they set up the bad guy or bad woman that really dastardly. And they do the whole opening 10 minutes is just how awful they are and what they've done to screw up some person. And then that person goes and hires Michael Madsen, (laughs) (laughs) whose job is to get vengeance. Now, he doesn't just go and kill them, but he's pretty much a sociopath in every other way. But, you know, uh, uh, this this whole thing is always to just, you know, just make their life a living hell and get them to pay for their crimes. So all the guest stars, you know, are like a Columbo episode. You know, it's like the guy you want to see Michael Madsen, Mr. Chapel bring down. And so, like, it's Greg Henry, <laughs> you know, or it's this guy or it's that guy. Well, there's one episode with Cliff Potts. Oh. So I wrote Michael Madsen, hey, what was it like working with Cliff Potts? And he had to be jarred in the memory about who he was, all right? But then he was like, uh, uh, he goes, oh, no, I like that guy. That guy was pretty cool. Yeah, he was very humble. He was a good guy. I liked, I liked working with him. <laughs> <laughs> Before I close up the shop today, a few months after this conversation, I surprised Quentin with a gift I knew he'd appreciate. Okay, so we watched Cry For Me Billy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Cliff Potts is in it. And we yeah. love Cry For Me Billy. And we love Cry For Me Billy. And we love Cliff Potts. Mm-hmm. And then you brought up Nevada Smith. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to find this Nevada Smith VHS, mm-hmm. but I can't find it. Mm-hmm. But I found something else for you. Uh-huh. So I want you to close your eyes. Okay. Oh, wow. And I'm going to... Ta-da! Oh my god. So, here you go, Quentin. I couldn't find it on VHS, but this is for you. Holy shit! Is this what I think it is? Yep. A Nevada Smith 16 print? Yes. 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 Oh my goodness. Happy birthday, Christmas. This is for you. Oh, why did you find this? Um, I put my feelers out and I had a friend and they found it on eBay for me. Oh, wow. I hope it's what it says it is. I think it is. But this is for you. Oh, that's fantastic. So I just couldn't help it. But there you go. This shows the lengths that Gala (laughs) is willing to go to to meet the demands, the the high bar that you set. In uh, in getting something. Okay, now so now I think we definitely need to have our uh, 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 since we got into Cliff Potts watching a western right from yeah. Billy. All right, we we definitely need to do our, our Cliff Potts double feature, which is the Last Ride of the Dalton Gang. Yes. All right, directed by Dan Curtis. Yeah. All right, which also has Jack Palance in it, the, but he's the star. Cliff yeah. Potts, and then Nevada Smith Part Two. Yeah, yeah. right there. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So, and I hope you invite me to watch it with of you. Of course I will. <laughs> yeah. Of 
course I will. Because <laughs> I got really into Nevada Smith after you brought up the Cliff Potts thing. Because like I started. Did you Did you see the first one yet? So yeah, so I I watched the Carpet Baggers actually. Uh-huh. Oh, you did. Oh, so, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Which is uh, like the book that Nevada Smith is based on, and they turn yeah. it into a movie. And then I watched uh, I watched the car- uh, Nevada Smith, and I really okay. Liked so you it. realize now you realize the, that the whole connection. That, yeah, but you realize that like George Papard is is Brian Keefe's son. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's all, but also I love it because it's like Nevada Smith is played by Alan Ladd. He's yeah. played by Steve McQueen, and he's played by Cliff Potts, and then J- uh, Jonas Court is played by Leif Erikson, mm-hmm. Brian Keith, and Lauren Green. Yeah. Like there's this whole yeah. history of it. And is you know, and and the screenplay is written by the same guy in all three of them. John is Michael really? Hayes. Yeah. Oh, really? John Michael Hayes wrote all of them. He wrote all of them, and it's Gordon Douglas, who I'm a big fan of it's his only tv movie great so there we go that's that is a find that is a find that's great thank you so much you're very welcome and i can't wait to watch it yeah me too that's great and that's our show thanks so much for tuning into the video archives after show have a burning question that you want the answers to make sure to write in for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode next week join quentin and roger as they discuss three new films Want to know ahead of time what we're watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. The first film is directed by a video archives favorite and directly inspired the TV show Starsky and Hutch. The second film is about teenagers trying to lose their virginity 20 years before American Pie. And the third is an erotic thriller featuring the star of the Emmanuel series. Mama's Little Joy Boy Loves VHS, VHS, Mama's Little Joy Loves VHS. Gala, we're, uh, we're still recording the after show. Oops, I didn't know anyone was listening. Well, I'm your Amy Thanatogenos wannabe, Gala Avery, signing out for today. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you, guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. 